Thanks, guys. Let's make sure I turn this. Yep, that's on. Cool. How are you guys going? Most excellently, that's good. Well, I heard a couple of answers and saw a couple more, so that's good. Um, <laughs> so um, tonight we're going to be continuing like we would in a series, because it's a series. Um, in Philippians, we're going to be continuing to look at living for Christ. So before I got into where I'm going to be talking about tonight, it's actually kind of important that I talk about a little bit what Maddie spoke about last week. So I wrote some really short recap notes while talking to Maddie about this earlier. Um, (laughs) So, I was thinking about, and it was, um, Maddie shared the three points of what we share, imitating the humility of Christ and worshipping Christ as Lord. So, they're pretty broad, so I'm going to just give a quick summary of each of those, and then we'll keep talking. So, it's what we share was encouragement, comfort from his love, common sharing in the spirit, tenderness and compassion, and unity. Then, imitating the humility of Christ, we saw being unified in him rather than divided by our own ambition and selfishness and worshipping him as Lord. We reflected on who he is and the mindset that we were like, and we set ourselves and reminded ourselves of his mindset when we went into worship. So that's just a really, really brief version. If you want the full version, I recommend listening to Maddie Sam. It was really good. Um, <laughs> but that would be how I would summarize that really quickly. So where would we start? Well, we should start by probably reading the verse that I'm going to be talking about. Sounds like a good place. So if you guys have your Bibles with you, open to Philippians 2. We're going to be going from verses 12 to 18 tonight. Um, if you don't, I, I'm sorry, I don't have it on the screen. So <laughs> there's Bibles around the place. I'm sure someone will help you if you ask. But I'll read it now. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fill his good, fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like the stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the, to, to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. So, Before we get started, I'm going to take a second and pray. And I would encourage you guys to do the same thing. So if you bow your heads and join with me in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I just want to come to you now and I want to ask you to put these words deep into our hearts as we reflect on what these things are saying to us and what you're trying to say to us tonight. God, I just pray that you'll be in my heart, giving me a stillness, a peace, and a power to speak your word in a way that can't come from me. God, I just pray that anything's of me that would fall away and everything that that is of you would shine. God, we lift this sermon to you. Amen. Cool. So, um... We talked last time I was up here, I did the intro for this series. I had to give a whole bunch of information and draw it to a point and it gave you guys the context for the entire letter. But I really found it interesting about the, um, if you guys remember, about the emotional attachment Paul had to these people. This is like the most lovey-dovey you see Paul get. It's the most friendly. You see him having the most um, emotional language where normally he would be very um, professional, very teacher. Um, This... Uh, I think the quote said that this he lets his emotions, he almost lets his emotions speak before his intelligence catches up to him. So he lets his love for them pour out first. I think we get another really good example of that in the very first verses here in verse 12. So it says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence but now much more in my absence, continue out your work in salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his purposes. 
Now, that doesn't sound very lovey-dovey in the way, again, like I said last time, it's not very friendly in the way that we would be friendly with one one another. But he starts with, um, my dear friends. It sets the scene for who he's talking to. It's branching off of what he said with all of that humility and all of the things that we talked about with Maddie's one. And it immediately goes, you're still my friends, I'm really talking to you as a friend here, because this is important. He kind of leans into that relationship to make the people listen more than they would if he, even if he was just a respected teacher. And he says, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. When I read that line, I kind of stopped for a second. And I thought about all of these times where parents or teachers or pastors or mentors set rules for you. And how easy it can be in the moment that they give it to you and the moments where they're standing near you to follow those rules. Right? It's really easy when a parent is watching you to not do the thing they told you not to do. But the second they're gone, it's really easy unless you actually believed what they were telling you when they told you about the rule. When they lovingly came to you and said, hey, don't do this thing, it's dumb and I care about you and I don't want you to hurt yourself. Or, hey, I'm looking out for you, here's a reason. You then get behind that reason, not just because they're the person who told you to do it and they're watching you, but because you were fully affirmed in what they were saying to you. Which is what I think Paul's getting at here. He says, not only when I'm around, but even more when I'm not around that you guys did this, you did everything that I was asking you to do. You, um, you continue and that you will continue to do these things. So I thought of a parent when I thought of this because you see teachers and parents, like when you're in school, a teacher will be like, okay, don't talk. Just do your work. They'll give you a list of things to do. They'll work with you on it. But then they're like, okay, don't get distracted. Don't talk. The second they leave the room, everybody's talking to one another. And this is just really where my mind latched when it came to Paul talking to them as more than that, as a friend. He's thanking them as a friend for treating him like a friend by listening deeper, by getting involved. And it shows their belief. Because again, unless they believe the same thing as him, they wouldn't have done it while he wasn't there. So, he then continues, because as everyone does, to encourage them in doing the good work that they've started. He tells them, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who, will, who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. He encourages them that they're doing the right thing, you just got to keep moving, keep doing it. I actually had a misinterpretation when it came to reading this verse the first time. When I read, work out your salvation, I thought it meant figure it out. I thought it meant figure out how to do it. I thought it meant just this basic level thought of, hmm, how do I do that? Now that Paul's not around to give me every instruction when I ask him to, how do I do it? But when I looked into it, it was actually talking not just about that, but it actually went a step further because... The Bible's pretty good at doing that. Um, And it's actually talking about doing it. Not just thinking about it, but working it out as in letting it outwork in you. So it's saying, don't just think about the stuff, go do it. Right? So that's pretty easy stuff when you think about that first bit there, where it's like, okay, it's an encouragement, it's a reflection. We then drop pretty immediately into what I would refer to as the pointy part of this scripture. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Hmm. Yeah. That is very pointy from the nice and encouraging things that Paul was just saying, like, keep going, do the thing. Oh, yeah, do it, and don't argue or grumble. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty good at grumbling when it comes to things that I don't necessarily immediately want to do, even when it's something that's good. So... I had a pretty interesting week this week. I actually wanted to take pause here and talk about this. Do not uh, do everything without grumbling or arguing. 
I was supposed to be in Canberra this week. I was going to the download conference with a whole bunch of the other young ads. You probably saw Matt's posts on Facebook about it. Um, but I had to make a really tough decision not to go because my mum's really sick and I couldn't risk bringing it back near her. Now, I knew that this was the wise decision. I remember talking to Tom Mandel last week after the service about it and he was like, it's the wise call, it's okay. Like, you've made a call, now you just have to do the thing. I was definitively grumbling. <laughs> I was sitting there and I was arguing with myself about the fact that, no, I really, really want this. No, I really wanted to do this. This is something that I should be able to go do. I don't like the fact that I can't. And it led to me arguing with me, arguing with God, and then grumbling. Now, you might ask the question, I don't know, um, why? And Paul really does a good job as a teacher. He immediately follows up with the why. And he tells you, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. And then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly the word of life. And then, uh, sorry, and then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you so that you too may be glad and rejoice with me. Now, that was a big chunk of text, but I really hammered in on a couple of places where I was reflect, when I was reflecting on this. It hit me like a ton of bricks. Andrew called me on the Monday directly after telling Matt that I couldn't go to this really cool thing and said, hey, Chris, would you mind doing me a favor? Would you mind preaching on Sunday? Now, I was in no headspace to want to do this. I was wallowing in self-pity of the fact that I didn't get to go do the fun thing. I was mad at myself for making a decision that was sure wise, but I could justify going. And I get this phone call and Andrew's like, can you preach on this thing? And I'm like, you know what, yeah, I will, I will try and use the week for good. Sure, let's go, let's do it. And then I read this verse and it hits me. Do everything without grumbling. Ooh. So that you may shine you will sh then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. I would have been a pretty dim star if he talked to me on Sunday. In fact, when my mum did talk to me about it, I was a very dim star, if you could call me a star at all. I was grumpy, I was grouchy, I was saying, man, if only I could logistically work this out. But it was, it was really hard. And this verse, which I love about doing, getting up here and doing this because I get to be vulnerable in front of all of you, yay, um, <laughs> and share these things because it's important that we realize that we can, in personal reflection with God, he will bring us these things when we need to hear them. I would have been stuck for the rest of this week had I not read this verse telling me, stop grumbling. <laughs> Use it for good. So, what does he mean by... Um, being like stars among the sky. Stars in the sky, sorry. Well, it seems pretty obvious, but stars are shiny. You notice them, especially in amongst the darkness that is night sky. Right, if you guys have been, maybe not so much around the city, but if you go far enough away from the city, you can actually see stars. It's an amazing experience, I recommend it. But you see them, you notice them, you cannot help but identify that they're there. And I think this is really the point that Paul's trying to make here with this, so that you will shine among them like stars, so that you'll be blameless. It's so that you're right with God, but it's also so that these people can look at you and not just go, oh, Chris is full of a lot of words, but man, that time where he got told he couldn't do something he wanted to, he got really mad and that, he clearly wasn't trusting anything there. Or they won't remember your response at the very least. So we're called to do these things because we recenter on God. We're called to do these things so people can see us. And so that 
we can be in those moments an outreach for God. We can be the outpouring of the thing that we have internally. So, I haven't really said anything mind-blowing here, right? It's been a whole bunch of stuff where it says that we'll shine like stars, we need to do this so that other people... But how do we do this? Well, how we do this is quite tricky because do not grumble is not a fun thing, especially when it's something you want to grumble about. So what do we do? Well, you have to... I think we see in a whole bunch of places through Scripture that we're called to just try our best to recenter. We're, continued to try, we're told to continue to work out our salvation. We're continued to, told to continue to try, continue to love, continue to recenter on Him so that this outpouring can be this strange, loving, caring environment where we're not grumbling about anything that we do, no matter how weird it can be. I know as a sound guy sometimes it's pretty easy to grumble. Something doesn't work the way it should and you have a knowledge of it and people are putting pressure on you to get it done and everyone's trying to do their own thing and it can be stressful and 10 minutes before a service, someone will ask you to make something, make noise for them and all of a sudden you're like, ooh, now is a really tempting moment to grumble. Well, how do you fix that? I know for me, it's really hard sometimes, but you've got to try and catch that moment of a grumble, which I just go, grr, and you've got to catch it, <laughs> stop and go, why am I here? Who am I doing this for? What do I do? Why do I do it? And these questions will stop that momentary grumbling if you can catch it well enough and you can turn it to God and you ask him for help because he says that if you ask him for help, he'll be there and he'll help you. You recenter and you go again. And guess what? Sometimes it'll go again and something will go wrong and you'll be grumbling again and it's a process. You see this loop where you catch one thing and you're like, yep, cool, I'm not grumbling, this is great and then something else hits you and you're like, dang, now I'm grumbling about both things because it smashes you back to where you were the first time. And God knows that. He knows that we're people. Nowhere in this verse where Paul's encouraging the people of Philippi does he say that they're perfect. Nowhere does he say that they've done nothing wrong. He just says, hey, you took the stuff that I taught you, you picked it up, you took it into your heart, and you ran with it. Sorry, Cody, I just hit the microphone. (laughs) Um, So, this is really important. Because it centers us and it's how we're supposed to be. It's giving us that relationship that we talked about a couple of series ago where we're supposed to be centered on him with that foundation in him. These are those moments where we rely on the foundation more than the structures we build around it. But yeah, that's, that's how we do this. It sounds simple. It's easy to say, hard to do, right? It's a constant thing where, again, as we always seem to come back to with these things, it's recentering your heart and it's about the relationship you have with God. But he also gives you that added advantage where he tells you, hey, if you do this, people will notice. He goes, not only, he says the verse, children, uh, that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Okay, you'll be pretty different there. Warped and crooked sounds pretty different from pure and blameless. So you'll be different and people will see that. And this is one of the really cool ways that we get to minister to people. I have a really cool example of this from when I was in youth group. I remember when I was a kid looking at these leaders who you'd hear some things where uni would be super stressful and they got over emotional about burning toast and something went wrong, but they would always seem so joyful in that moment where they're serving you. And you'd be like, how? Even without the, fa- like, without the smallest idea of who God is and what he's doing, it causes people to take pause. 
you know, you can be where people look at you and they compare where they would be if they were in your shoes quite frequently. And the second that there's a discrepancy between where they would be, which could be grumbling, and where you are, which is peace, and they go, how did you get there? And that is a really, really awesome opportunity to actually talk about God because it opened with action. It didn't open with words. They got to see it and then you tell them why. Which is something we really talked about a lot when I was learning to be a youth leader is you need to let them see it before you tell them about it. Because everybody can give mouth service, right? Everyone can just say, hey, this is the thing I believe. It's really great. Yeah, this is awesome. But when push comes to shove, people don't really believe you until they see it. Until they watch the moment where something goes wrong, your life feels like to them is on fire, and you're sitting there like the meme with the dog sitting at the table, like, it's fine, with the house behind you on fire. It's a really weird connection, but it's where it went. Um, <laughs> But yes, you see these things where God makes, calls us to be different through the relationship with him because he wants everyone to know this. He wants everyone to be able to tap into this. He wants that relationship for everybody. Cool. So I've kind of said do better and that's really great for application, so I'm done. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I still have much more time to give. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but I obviously did this wrong, but I was actually meeting, I met with Jeremy Walker early this week. We were doing some scenario thing for a uni degree where I had to pretend to be someone who was very upset with their life and he had to counsel me. It was a really weird experience because me and Jeremy are trying to hold in laughter while there's a camera over there and we're both pretending to do the thing but we both know it's fake and it's not a real scenario. Don't know if you've ever done that kind of thing to help someone do a uni assignment. I recommend it. It was good fun. But (laughs) to get to the point, we actually wound up having a really good conversation afterwards where I told Jeremy what this point of this message was going to be, and he kind of looked at me and goes, that sounds really similar to this concept I heard, which is you're made up of three selves, right? And it'll make sense in a second. I'm not saying you're just three people and they're completely different. No, I'm saying you're one person, but there are three different versions. There is a public face, which is what you guys would be seeing of me right now, right? It's the putting the best foot forward. It's the happy. It's the go lucky. It's the couldn't care, have a care in the world sometimes. It's the deep thought. It's the intelligence. It's the wisdom. It's whatever else you can cram into making someone look at you and go, that is the best version of Chris and that is what they see. Right? Then we move a little bit closer into the private self. And this is the things where you let your partner, your really close friends in, your family. Sometimes you don't get a choice in them seeing it, but <laughs> you let them see it nonetheless. And this again is a different version of you than the public, right? They get to see the bits where the the intelligence is completely gone and you jump on a rock under a foot of water. As some of you know that story. (laughs) For the rest of you, don't, I'll fill you in later, I promise. But you get these stories where it puts a dent in that public face and they get to see a better picture because it's removing the bits that you hide. So there's the private face that you get to see a bit more of those things, but there's also an inner self. And that's who you actually are. That's the person on the inside when no one else is around, when it's just you, your thoughts, and you. And this is the person where it's actually where you are. It's those moments where you don't talk to anyone about it, but you're feeling down. It's those moments where you fail at something, and before you have the chance to talk to anyone about it, you're reflecting on it. It's those moments where you beat yourself up. It's those moments where you do all of the things that this isn't talking about, where you're grumbling and the first time you grumble is an internal thing. <laughs> and even if you take it away from being public and private, sometimes it's still an internal grumbling. But 
Why this is actually really important is we would continue to talk about this concept because I found it really interesting because I immediately identified it in my own life. I went, hmm, that's really interesting. And Jeremy went, the really important question is what is the difference between these three people? And what is the distance between these three people? And I was like, hmm, that's a really big question. Hey, how different is the Chris that's standing here to the Chris that sits alone playing a video game in his room? Or reading a book, if you want to use a smarter sounding example, I guess. <laughs> but what is the difference between these people? What distance is there was the metaphor that they used. Is there miles and miles of difference where, you know, some, like you could be a completely different person when you're on your own. Is there a little bit of a gap? Because that's kind of healthy. Because there are unhealthy and healthy ways to do this. And some people decide that they're going to have their inner self in a different country than their public self because it's easier than letting people see where they are. This was me most of the way through high school. I was outwardly happy, outwardly, outwardly happy about my eyesight being gone. I was outwardly angry. Sure, these were the two emotions that I ever had because those were the two emotions that were acceptable. Everything else was internal, but actually, when you got to my private self, I was sad and I was worried. And then, when you got to my inner self, I was scared. Scared is a fun word. Because how often do you let, how often I reflected on this and how often I keep scared as a completely inner thing. <laughs> so we were talking about a healthy way and this is what I actually wanted to take as the application from this verse tonight is the way that we keep ourselves from being people who grumble is to monitor where we're at. We invite God not into the public self, not into the private self, but into the inner self. And we let him be in there with us. We let him see all of the stuff. We take to him everything that we can in prayer. The amount of times I grumble to God and then immediately feel bad because I'm grumbling at the creator of the universe, the guy that puts breath in my lungs. And it's not in a bad way where it's like, oh, I shouldn't ever feel bad. But it's that moment of real reflection where you take the worship of who he is, like Maddie talked about. You remember the things that we have in common, like that compassion, like that love, like that unity. And it draws, you, it draws you into that better version that you try to pre present other people because he really wants the best for you. He wants the best version of you because that's what he does. He loves you. So yeah, this whole thing, this whole convoluted story was actually wanting to get you guys to reflect on, do you, first of all, do you know that you have three different selves? Because that can be a big thought. Some people think there's only two. Some people think they only have one. But, and what is the distance between the two of them? And how do you let God in on the process of letting you decide between those, the distances? In those moments where you are actually struggling with your inner self, how do you let God help you find that way into your private self so other people get a better picture of who you are so they can help? And how do you find some way to be vulnerable in a public space? How do you find some way to be vulnerable to a group of teenagers, and this is one that I have to deal with a lot, a group of teenagers who are looking at you and judging you by teenage standards, which there, was, there is a part of your brain that remembers being a teenager and goes, Ugh, I don't want to be judged like that. At least sometimes for me. But <laughs> God calls us to this place where we want to be in relationship with him and doing this stuff so that we do it all without grumbling because it helps us clear those gaps. It helps us find where they should sit and not just be distracted by our own ambition, like what Manny said. So, 
I'm going to pray for us really quickly as we try and reflect on that. I'd encourage you guys to have a pray. If you need any clarification or want to have a chat, I'm going to sit down the front. You can come have a chat to me. Maddie's here. Andrew's somewhere. I can't see that far back. <laughs> I trust he's here, though. Um, I'm sure someone would really love to have a conversation with you about this. Find a friend. Bridge that gap between the, pri- the inner and the private self. Have a pray. Ask God what business you need to do. So let's pray here, guys. Dear Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you. I want to thank you for being in the weeks where we don't see how you're connected to everything and turning them for good. I want to thank you for telling us do not grumble and being as blunt as that and then clarifying that why we do it, why it's important and who we are. God, I just pray right now that you'll be in this room helping us to figure out about our public, private and inner selves and all these other concepts that have been mentioned tonight. God, I just pray that you would help to close the gaps between these things with you especially. God, I just pray that you would be in every moment as we sing these last songs. Song. And God, I just pray that you'd be in the conversations at After Church and I thank you for the opportunity we have to gather here tonight because it's such a blessing. Amen.